The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. Alicia, Michael, what's going on? We know you have takes. We have takes. I'm actually surprised that your rant line, rave line, whatever, isn't completely full. Why can't we just win a game? Can I blame Michael Castillo for this? Can I blame Bob Connolly for this? Can I put on a zebra shirt and just go out there? Scratch. Up against the wall. Can't explain it, what I'm feeling right now, guys. Let's open up that race Woohoo! Oh, I can't believe USC is going to do the same thing again year after year. Oh, no. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Random Troy Radio, episode 392, coming to you on Thursday. November 19th, we're going to look forward to Saturday's game against the Utah Utes. Not Colorado? Wait. It's, it's Utah. <laughs> they are the Utes, yes. And it, it is Utah. For sure? Are you sure? Until the moment that we post this episode, and then that is when the Pac-12 will be cleared to change plans. Okay, it's Utah. USC and Utah Saturday night at Rice-Eccles Stadium in Salt Lake City. We're going to preview the game. We're going to open up the mailbag. We're going to set some over-unders and so much more on this episode, as always. You can follow us on Twitter at RainFTroy. Like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash RainFTroy. Be sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Overcast, Omni. Wherever you get podcasts, we are there. Our bonus episodes are on Patreon, patreon.com slash RainFTroy. Our email address is RainFTroy at fansider.com and our phone number is is 213-373-1USC. Suck it, What's Bird Show. I'm your host, Mike Castillo, joined here in the Arena Troy studio in Los Angeles with my co-host, Alicia Deratola. Hello, everybody. Hello, Alicia. You sound great, I think, I hope. Uh, I think I sound much better than I did last episode, I, I think, I hope. I I hope. Clinging. Yeah, may, I mean, the, the, the tests have, have come back... Negative? Sure. Well, okay, so I used positive in a headline earlier this week and realized that uh, when when writing about COVID-19, maybe positive is not the word to use. So now I'm very sensitive to po- like saying something is positive or that a test is positive. Sure. Something the like test that. was negative for bad sound quality. Yeah, so a uh, little inside baseball. If you listen to the last episode... And you thought it sounded funny. Uh, it's not just you. Uh, we recorded the episode. And as we were recording, like the very beginning, we listened back to, we always listen back to the test. 
and the test sounded funky. But we had not changed anything. We couldn't figure out at that point at least what was changed. Uh, we unplugged everything, plugged back in the mics, everything, and it still sounded like that. So then we're like, you know what? Maybe it's just in our heads. Maybe it's the headphones. Maybe it's whatever, right? So we just persisted, went along, posted the episode, and then we had multiple people saying, you know what? It sounded like you guys were underwater. Yeah. Yeah. Real embarrassing from, from the sound czar over here. Yeah, the audio czar dropped the ball there. I know. I know. Yep. Anyways, we think we have debugged uh, the issue. We hope. We hope. Detected and removed the bug. Squashed Di- it. Diagnosed and treated? Sure. Yeah. Are we positive we got it? I don't know. I mean, but we'll see. <laughs> uh, let us know if we sound better. Uh, in your ears right now. That is the hope. Elisa, that last episode also, one of the longest we've ever had. Eclipse, the two-hour mark, two hours and 15 minutes. Uh, needless to say, this one not going to be as long. No, I mean, it's it's a preview episode for a team that no one knows and much about at all. We don't even know who the quarterback is, so... It's, uh, yeah, this one's going to be a little bit uh, interesting trying to muddle around uh, basically in, in, in the dark while blindfolded as well. I mean, technically, we barely know the opponent. Yes. Uh, you can make the argument that we still don't actually 100% know the opponent. Uh, I mean, there was talk earlier in the week of, well, do we preview both teams? <laughs> we, we, we talked about potentially recording two game previews, uh, but... As it stands now, it looks like it's going to be Utah. Uh, we're going to talk about that more in the news segment and then ultimately preview the, the Utes as we go on here on this episode. And with that, let's just dive in, shall we? USC is getting back one of their key players in the defensive line. No, it's not J2 Fele, but uh, in a micro season, it ends up being a micro state. Jacob Lichtenstein, he has opted back in for the Trojans per our friend Keely Yor of USCFootball.com. Yeah, that's a that's a great <laughs> Lichtenstein reference. Uh, yeah, it's uh, it's it's not the defensive line uh, lineman that would have sort of headlined things, but. He was a guy that that had really developed his body quite a bit over the last year, well, like two years, because he has been injured for so long. He's dealt with a lot of injuries that have limited his ability to make an impact. But when we've seen him briefly, he's looked very bright. So it will be exciting to see what he can do and and contribute to this team in the in the latter half of this season. You think about how Nick Figueroa has really come along. This season, Jacob Lichtenstein is another one of those guys who could take that step forward and become a really critical player for USC on the defensive line, especially when you consider there's not a lot of depth, certainly not a lot of veteran depth, a lot of youth there beyond the uh, the front line there. So it will be good to have him back. The only question I have really is what kind of shape is he in? We know physically he's good to go. If you follow him on Instagram, you know that dude is ripped. But, uh, you know, game shape is, is always something that you're looking for. And you know, he hasn't been practicing with the, the new coaching staff. He hasn't practiced, had been practicing in the new scheme. So while, you know, he obviously won't be available this week, 
in theory he could play uh, against uh, Colorado, but we will see how involved he is, uh, at least in these early goings. Still, getting a body back there is is a is a positive thing for sure for USC. Yeah, especially when they lose a body, and that mm-hmm. leads us to talking about Munir McLean and Abdul Malik McLean. Uh, the brothers are transferring, joining a long list of uh, USC brothers to depart the school at the same time. The Amata Bebe's, the Tings, the McLeans, uh, all for different reasons, of course. Uh, Munir, we know that he was suspended. Uh, his family had held a press conference in front of the Galen Center last month. We know all about that. Abdul Malik had been playing for the Trojans as recently as Saturday against Arizona. Uh, he is an uh, edge rusher off the edge, a linebacker is someone who can give SC another body in that front six, which is why you kind of now have the ability to look at Jacob Lichtenstein, a completely different player. Lichtenstein is someone that you're going to see literally on the line, whereas Abdul McLean would be right right off that line. But uh, in the front six, nonetheless, hence one body out, one body in on defense. Yeah, it's it's unfortunate to see them go, but quite frankly, as soon as the McLeans held that press conference and used some of the harsh language that they used to be critical of Clay Helton and the program, I figured that uh, that was probably going to be the end of, of Munir at USC, and Munir and, and Abdul Malik are, are close, so it's not a terrible surprise to see both of them opt to transfer out. Um you know, USC needed both of them as far as depth is concerned. Munir would have been a rotational guy for USC wide receiver this year, and uh, Abdul Malik, Malik McLean would have uh, continued to have whatever role that he was able to build up there at, at outside linebacker, sort of edge rusher. At the same time, you know, to be honest, both were more depth guys than than, you know, starting caliber guys at this point in their career. So for this season, I don't think it'll have a huge impact unless there's some injury injury problems. You'd need to see Drake Jackson and Hunter Eccles both go down with injury, which, you know, knock on wood, that's always, it's USC, so that's always possible uh, for, for um, Malik McClain to really have a, a starring role. But he was a, a prospect that I liked when we've seen him in the past. He's and, looked good. I've always thought he looked good on the field. Yeah, yeah. So it's a bummer to see him go more for the future than anything, because I think he really could have developed into a a strong player. But these are circumstances that I, I don't necessarily think are, how do I put this? It's It doesn't feel like it's in the football program's control. And that's what makes this so difficult to see happen, that the, the deterioration of the trust there between the McLean family and USC over an issue that is sort of over the head of everybody is uh, is frustrating. Yeah. It seems like everyone's in the dark, the McLeans included, and yeah. uh, that's not good. That, that's that's not good. We'll see what comes out of all of this. Certainly, you wish the McLeans the best going forward, and uh, we'll see where they go. Um, and maybe they'll both go Illinois. to Illinois. <laughs> yeah, probably. Uh, <laughs> find that on your, uh, your your latest offshore betting site, probably. Um, speaking of Moving forward, let's talk about Utah. Utah potentially looking like they're ready to go forward with Saturday's game. The Utes have not played thus far through the first two weeks of the Pac-12 season, and Utah's AD says they haven't had a recent uh, stretch of any positive tests with COVID-19, 
and should have 70 to 80% of the roster available. John Wilner of the Mercury reported on Wednesday from a source that they are good to go. Um, Alicia, this is such a weird situation. We know that Utah's here, and if it doesn't go through, then Colorado is waiting in the wings. SC kind of has two teams waiting to play them on Saturday. It's a good situation for SC to have in the sense that you know that SC's playing Saturday unless they have some sort of late-in-the-week um, you know, outbreak that we haven't foreseen. There's going to be an opponent ready for them, but it's this weird situation of, like, if you're SC, you have to prepare for Utah, even though potentially, I guess, this could all crumble down, but all signs are pointing that it will be the Utes. 78 to 80% of the roster available means 20 to 30% is not. That is a huge percentage, which is going to make this preview episode very difficult because who the hell knows who's on this Utah roster, uh, A, and who's healthy, B. Well, I mean, that's that's what's clouding this whole thing even more because we're going to talk when in our game preview, we're going to talk about all the the memorable names that Utah has lost. So they were already going to be, be replacing guys that we knew with guys that we aren't super familiar with. And now we have to sort of get ready to preview this game knowing that any of the guys that we think might be key people coming up to play in this game could be in that, you know, 20 to 30% of this roster that's not available. So, you know, I, th- I think that the threshold for, for playing is like 57% of, or something like 56% of the roster has to be available. 50, 53 men. Oh, f- sorry, yeah, it's 53 men. So, you know, the, we think they're up above that number, but that's still quite a few bodies that are going to be unavailable. Now, for Utah, maybe it's a bunch of freshmen and, you know, third stringers and, and walk-ons or, or whoever it is, but... It could just as likely be a starter here or there. It could be offensive line starters, which would be huge. It could be defensive line starters, which could be huge. It could be the quarterbacks, you know, who knows? And that's what makes it so difficult to uh, to get through this. But at the same time, at least they are, are looking like they're ready to move forward. The thing that gives me pause is that, you know, Utah's equipment truck was at the Rose Bowl when the game got canceled for uh, for the UCLA game. So... You know, I, I won't be certain that this game is going to go forward until until Saturday is here and then and, and they're moving forward. Yeah, it's it's going to be quite the um, the situation that you have to keep your eyes on um, and maybe force us into recording a Colorado preview on the fly. You never know. Uh, it's it's, it's always never, possible. Yeah, you never know. Uh, all, all I know is that I got a, I got a text from a friend. Are we going hiking this uh, hiking on Friday? And I'm like, no. No, there's too much stuff that keeps happening on Fridays. I can't, I can't, I can't do it. Can't risk it. Uh, SC's opponent might take a hike, and then uh, SC yes. has to not take the hike to take a different hike to the Wasatch, and instead of come here with the buffaloes hiking down to. You're, here. you're trying. I, I, I appreciate it. I'm trying, and I'll tell you, someone who's <laughs> trying to get on the field and finally able to is JT Daniels, uh, former USC quarterback, transferred. Of course, uh, he was start- USC starter in 2018, started week one of 2019, tore his ACL uh, a minute before halftime against Fresno State last year, uh, and is yet to get on the field since. Uh, that will change this week as the Georgia Bulldogs will start JT Daniels at quarterback against the Mississippi State Bulldogs, coached by who? 
Mike, Mike Leach. Leach. Yeah. JT Daniels 1-0 all time against Mike Leach. That's clearly why uh, Uga is playing him, that, <laughs> that experience there. Uh, but Daniels uh, is going to start uh, in lieu of Stetson Bennett. Uh, Stetson Bennett, uh, the feel-good story for, for Georgia, childhood Georgia fan. But you look at the numbers, not good. He did leave the, the Florida game early, but he completed 9 of 29 pass attempts against the Gators. 31%. Not good. No. 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 It's, it's looked like and for Dwayne, a while that JT Daniels or somebody needed to step in there for Stetson Bennett. And it might have been an injury thing where you didn't know that JT Daniels was 100% cleared. But at this point, you got to roll with it. Now, George is in trouble here, though, because Stetson Bennett was supposed to be sort of the stopgap that they were going to be able to lean on. And he sort of has just gone downhill. And Dwayne Mathis has looked awful every time he's in the game. So it's been, you know, two, three weeks, three, four weeks that Georgia fans have been sitting there going like, but what about JT? But what about JT? Like, didn't we just bring this kid in? What's going on with JT? Yeah. And Georgia has been very squirrely about it. Not really being forthright about what exactly is going on because it sort of was sounding like JT was shut down, you know, it hadn't been cleared yet. And, that's more than 12 months after his uh, his injury, yeah. which is not totally outside of the timeline for that kind of thing. If it was a bad, I mean, you know, if if, if it's more than, if it's ACL, MCL, and LCL all that, gone, you that know. That was the timeline like 10 years ago. Yeah, but right? but for instance, you know, if you have a really, real, you know, because sometimes you have a, a, an ACL injury that's just the ACL. You blow out your knee and it's just the one. And some of those you can come back in six months. Some of those you can, you know. Within nine months, I mean... Kyle Schwarber uh, well, uh, tears his ACL in April, and he's playing the World Series in October. Well, Adrian Peterson is the, the the first big one I remembered, how quickly he was able to come back from it. But then again, but then you get other players who, you know, most of our listeners won't know, won't know who this is, but Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain for Liverpool uh, busted his knee, and, and it was clear very early that this wasn't the kind that you can come back after six or nine months. This was the kind that was going to take at least a year for him to get back because of how devastating the damage was. And so it it, it would seem to me that that's the case of, of what was going on with JT. And uh, no one really would just wanted to say it, even though that was going to be it. So I'm going to be very intrigued to see what happens here with him against Mississippi State. I think that uh, it's possible, you know, you would expect him to be an upgrade on Stetson ben- Bennett, but also there's a lot of pressure on his shoulders to come in and try to save Georgia. And if he hadn't been cleared up to this point, we don't know how sharp he's going to be physically. And my my worry would just be if they're rushing him back, then that might be bad in the long run for him too. So sort of cross your fingers for JT and hope this doesn't go badly. Yeah, they they could be rushing him back or they could have just taken abundance of, a, of yeah. precaution at the same time. It's it's you can look at it either way. Um, I I do feel for Georgia because all off season. It looked like they were going to be a team that might be the favorite in the SEC, maybe even ahead of Alabama, right? Because they get Jamie Newman from Wake Forest. They get JT Daniels. Looks like they have the best quarterback room in the entire country because of that. Two guys who were um, highly sought after transfer um, players, right? And Newman immediately uh, opts out right before the season. 
Uh, JT Daniels ends up not being cleared until late. Um, and they go to Setson Bennett, who has just been feel good story, but not good on the field. Uh, someone who has been good on the field is Onyeka Akongru, um, actually on the hardwood for yeah, USC. On the court. <laughs> uh, he was drafted six overall on Wednesday night in the NBA draft. The NBA draft taking place in November, which is so weird, but it's yeah. 2020. Everything is strange this year. Uh, he's an Atlanta Hawk. Staying in Georgia there. Uh, per USC, Okongwu is the highest drafted player since OJ Mayo was selected third in the 2008 NBA draft and the fourth all-time taken in the top ten. DeMar DeRozan went ninth in, in 2009, and Paul Westfall went tenth in 1972. Also, USC's four draft selections in the last NBA drafts are tied for the most among all Pac-12 teams with UW and Arizona. Yeah, USC's attracted talent. That's why Andy Enfield has his job, and it's also why I have been very critical of Andy Enfield, because the guys that USC has had over the years have all been very good, and and I would you know wager that uh, Onyeka Okongwu was the best of the bunch. He, he absolutely lived up to the recruiting hype 100%. He was, as advertised, a dominant force, on both ends of the floor for USC. Uh, not surprised to see the NBA sort of drool all over him uh, as a defensive force, to be sure. And, he makes me drool. And I'm, yeah, I'm excited to see what he can do in Atlanta with that, with Trey Young and, and that squad. The, uh, the sad thing is just, you know, reflecting on this November NBA draft is that, you know, would have been great to see what Big O could have done for USC in, in the Pac-12 tournament. And what... You know, if they had been able to to secure an NCAA tournament berth, what a big man like that can do for you in a tournament run. Uh, it's just a shame that USC won't uh, won't ever get to know sort of what that might have looked like. This is true. Didn't his USC career did not come to a rosy ending because of old COVID, um, but he gets to go to the Atlanta Hawks where he's drafted now and he gets to play in a month already. Yeah. So, <laughs> welcome it, to the NBA. Everything has been sped up, um, this, despite being way off schedule. So, uh, c- congratulations to Congre. We'll see what happens for him and the Hawks this year. Uh, Alicia, let's get to this preview and talk about the Utah Utes. The Trojans go into Rice Eccles Saturday night. 7.30 p.m. Pacific on ESPN. It's Pac-12 after dark. That is 8.30 p.m. Uh, mountain Time if you are going to the game, which means like you're a parent of like a Utah player or something like Actually, that. Actually, you you aren't uh, going to the game if you're a parent of a Utah player either. They, uh, they not an- allowed parents? Thing? They announced that it, assuming the game does go forward, they have backed off of their plan to have a okay. have a family f- friends and family of players allowed. So for the for last week's ga- oh, sorry, decision. the week the season opener was supposed to have each player was supposed to be able to have four guests essentially and yeah, Salt Lake City, Utah in general the numbers are just too too great. They're not even going to let that happen. Yeah, it's just like I think you and I agree is smart. Yeah, best to err on the side of caution right now. Everything is getting insane. Yeah. Uh, when you look at the uh, the COVID numbers 
Um, and it's not just the COVID numbers, it's the weather numbers, which are not going to be good uh, if you are a Trojan, because the weather in Salt Lake City, not like it is in Los Angeles. No. Uh, the overnight low on Saturday is 26 degrees. It's a high of 47 during the day, but of course this game is at 8.30 p.m. local time on Saturday. Um, it's hard to see exactly what the game time temperature is going to be, so I, I went to weather.com, and like if you go to the hourly projections for Thursday and Friday at like 8.30 p.m., it looks like a 39-degree kickoff. But the overnight low for Saturday is colder than it is on Thursday and Friday. So perhaps like 37-ish degrees, maybe? Dropping like 4 to 5 degrees during the game. Uh, that would not be USC's coldest game of all time, which is 20 degrees at Notre Dame in 1957. And they've played several times uh, in 29-degree kickoff weather uh, at Notre Dame in 49, 52, and 59. And then at Colorado in 2013, the Trojans all-time have a 500 winning percentage uh, in cold games, 13, 12, and 1. Yeah, I mean, does it surprise anybody that uh, the boys from Southern California don't often face cold weather games and no. don't tend to have great well, results in it, them? It doesn't help that most of those cold most of weather games Notre Dame. are against Notre Dame. Yeah, yeah, yeah not, not helpful at all. Uh, but still, you know, the... The Colorado games have been an example of uh, of what it looks like when USC is playing in the cold, and so now it's going to be a chance for the Utah game to to get in that range for sure. Uh, it it's not something that uh, that USC will want to deal with. You're already dealing with elevation, travel, right, and cold is a. Uh, although USC will have another excuse to throw around for Keaton Slovis having some wobbly Alicia, balls. That you do not have to worry. Uh, after uh, this game, yeah. ever about his his throwing ability, Perkley Hilton. Never, it's, it's never all again. fine. It's all taken care of. Don't have to worry about it. So it, on Saturday, fine. on Saturday night, we will definitely not be we hearing will about not how question it, it. it was. It was very crisp and cold, and how that was impacting. It will uh, not be Keaton's talked arm. about at all. No nope. talking point will not be a talking point at all, according to Clay Helton on Tuesday. Uh, but what will be a talking point is who are these Utes? They were the class of the Pac-12 South last year. They went 11-3 and after starting the year 11-2, and finished 12th in the S&P Plus, and now sit 26th in SP Plus. Uh, returning production is not good. Dead last in FBS, 130th. They only returned 30% of their overall production, only 27%. Dead last, 130th on defense. These are the these are the losses, Alicia. Seven NFL draftees, eight first-time All-Pac-12 first-teamers. They lose Tyler Huntley, Zach Moss, offensive lineman Darren Paulo, Bradley Anai, Francis Bernard at linebacker, defensive backs Jalen Johnson, Julian Blackman, and Terrell Burgess. On the defensive line, they lose Lucky Fotu, John Panasini. All those guys, household names if you've been paying attention to Utah football or Pac-12 football in the last few years, all those guys are gone. Um, and then you combine that with the fact that 70 to 80% of the, of the roster now will be available, which means 20 to 30% of the roster won't be there, and who knows who's going to be on the field for the Utes on Saturday. Uh, at quarterback, it's going to be a toss-up between Jake Bentley 
and Cameron Rising. Both are transfers. Bentley from South Carolina, who has starting experience, and Rising, who did not. He backed up Sam Ellinger. Um, Brad Keithy, someone to keep an eye on at tight end. Uh, Devin Lloyd at linebackers, another guy to keep an eye on, as is Jordan Wilmore, a former USC committed running back. And, of course, for his 94th season, Britton Covey. Yeah, <laughs> and we, we're going to find out how many of those guys are available to play. Uh, but those are a strong core, I think, to build around, certainly on uh, on offense. Jake Bentley had some good moments at, at South Carolina. Uh, at least USC will have a little bit of perhaps tape that they can look at to see sort of stylistically what they're going to be facing from him. But uh, Brad Keithy is, is, a, is a tight end who, dare I say, makes me drool. Um, he, he is, if you're breaking in a new quarterback, if you're bringing in, uh, sort of transitioning away from, uh, a bunch of personnel losses, having your go-to tight end available is, is a big plus for any, any offense. And then having a running back like Jordan Wilmer, who, Wilmore, who, you know, had some limited time last year, but looked really, really good in the snaps that he got. He's not Zach Moss, uh, you know, it would be very hard to be Zach Moss at this point, but uh, I think he is somebody who can carry the torch there for Utah, given what we know about how Utah is coached in the trenches, about the physicality that they always bring to the offensive line. So those are some key pieces that they can build on, not to mention Britton Covey, who is a, a reliable pass catcher in the slot. So it's not that they are without talent. It's not that they are without weapons. It's just that we don't know how these players will fit together. It's it's that we don't know how that defense will be rebuilt. But at this point, you got I think you got to look at Kyle Whittingham and say that he's earned the benefit of the doubt. He has rebuilt this team before, and maybe they'll take a step back from what they were last year. But they wouldn't have to take uh, if they if they take a small enough step back. They're still gonna have a huge advantage over the USC the way that they're playing right now. Yeah, it's an interesting situation. We talked about it in the last episode. Uh, we got that email that was uh, fr- from John and Azusa that talked about, is it coaching? Um, is that what is the ultimate equalizer in COVID and, and preparation and all that stuff? It could be. It could very well be. And you have to imagine that despite losing all those guys, Utah is a, is, uh, a program that you'd have a lot of faith in instilling discipline and all those things to get you through a season like this. So it's that is a huge benefit to them, uh, along with the continuity that you see there on defense. Morgan Scalia enter, entering his fifth season as a defensive line, uh, defensive coordinator. Um, and Annie Ludwig, Ludwig is back uh, for year two in this stint. Uh, he's been at Utah before, back um, after Urban Meyer left. He was the offensive coordinator for the Utes. 05 to 08. So he's been around a couple of times. A lot of familiarity on that coaching staff and uh, with their personnel. Continuity definitely helps. That's, that's absolutely the case. The Aside from the whole 30% of their roster might not be available problem, the, the big X factor here is going to be what does Utah look like after having so many guys have to be contact traced and quarantined and and having disrupted practices as a result. We saw what happened to UCLA playing Cal. Cal looked like they were just totally out of their depth. We don't know if that's Cal has taken some huge steps back in the personnel department 
and can't keep up with the the growth that they were experiencing under Jordan Wil- uh, Wilcox, Justin Wilcox, sorry. Or was that just this is what a team looks like when they haven't practiced for two, three weeks and, and yeah. are and are struggling through the COVID madness? I, I'm willing to give Utah the benefit of the doubt that it won't that they won't have the wild swings in schedule that Cal did. Because not only did Cal have to completely change how they practiced and they weren't able to practice really for long stretches, but twice uh, they had their games canceled. The second time they had to change their opponent right at the end, completely change what day they were playing on. They played at 9 a.m. on top. Like, there were so many things that made that chaotic. Um, And here we are going into week three and Utah is yet to play, so... You, you're going to have those week one jitters. You're going to have the lack of, of familiarity uh, and chemistry built up uh, just based on having practice disrupted from the last couple of weeks. But they've known all week that they're playing SC at 8.30 at Rice-Eccles. I think that is going to help compared to Cal a little bit. Like, there's no other... Nobody else they're going to play this week. Yeah. Like, like there's, there's nothing else on on the cards. Yes, that's absolutely something that uh, that Utah has the advantage over the situation that that Cal was in. But then again, UCLA was in a similar boat where they had their schedule disrupted and they were able to to do fine. But they also had had some lead in games. And it they, was a road game, and I mean, they know, for for UCLA a road game at the at, at the, the Rose Bowl. At the Rose Bowl. Like they had to drive to the Rose Bowl. Exactly. Yes, yeah. this is true. Uh, but but it's still something that that you have to take into account, for sure. And it and it's and it's a great equalizer potentially for USC. I think the weird thing about this game is there are so many equalizing factors. The elevation is an equalizer. The the uh, weather is an equalizer. The Utah roster situation is an equalizer. Uh, you know the fact that uh, unlike. Arizona and Arizona State, who did have more practice time this year across the board, Utah, the the difference in practice time for USA and Utah is not going to be to the same degree. So maybe that's another thing that's an equalizer here. Right. And we talk about the the continuity uh, in terms of coordinators. Clay Halton talked about this on Sunday night in his, in his conference call. He thought that SE is going to be more comfortable in preparing for like Utah's defense because Morgan Scally has been there for several seasons at this point because there's film on them. And you can go back and look at last year's game. You can go back and look at any game from last year. And the personnel might be different, but the scheme should be about the same compared to what uh, Arizona and ASU were doing because they were breaking in new coordinators. And week one, especially, do you go back and watch like old... Bengals games or Arkansas games or like like what, yeah. what what do you do right and so it's it's a weird situation for those for those two games sure but the biggest pushback here and this is gonna be one of the biggest talking points of this game for me do you really expect Morgan Scally to line up and play man against USC's again? receivers again well like, like th- they're not gonna be that stubborn and. The play like a lot of the times when you're you know defensive coordinators will be will make that bold defensive choice if they have the secondary to do it. 
Utah put so much faith in their corners because they had a strong secondary, a strong right. uh, defensive back unit that I think that when they went up against USC, they thought we're good enough to stop them. Now, it turned out they were wrong, but they took that risk. Is Morgan Scally going to take that risk this year when he doesn't have uh, Julian Blackman and, and, and Jalen Johnson and all those guys? Not to mention there's a clear prescription on how to stop this USC uh, go offense. Go into zones, you know. It's it's very well, and and this is where, this is where the 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 chickens will come home to roost, right? Utah is either going to stick to their guns and and be stubborn and lose as a result, because if they do that, I think they will lose, or they will be willing to adjust. And this is the complaint that everyone has about USC is they aren't willing to adjust, and so that's why they get in themselves into trouble. Yeah, this is one of those things where I, I wish that SC would stop um, preparing for each defense uh, <laughs> specifically, because which sounds backwards, right? But I think what SC finds themselves in is that every team ends up mirroring what the previous team did based on what the results were. And if you look at it, if you're able to keep this SC offense out of the end zone, who cares how many yards you give up? Well, and how many times have we heard USC's coaches and players say, "Man, they did something we didn't we we didn't see on tape. We didn't expect to see that." Well, right. Maybe that's because everyone is playing USC and not the teams that they will have played in the past exactly. and changing yeah. things up specifically because they know that USC they have to have a schematic advantage because yeah. they don't have the talent advantage. Watch your film. Yeah. R- rather like and, and I'm not saying to to not prepare for Utah, but like SC needs to figure out how to beat the rap sheet. Self-scout. Yeah, self-scout. Beat the rap sheet that's out there about you, right? And I think until SC absolutely does that, they're not going to have an answer for so many of the teams that are preparing against them, especially a team that is as well-coached as Utah is because, again, we can't expect them to come out there and man um, and force... Keaton Slovis to carve them up because he absolutely will. He'll throw for 500 yards if you're going to put him in, uh, put those receivers in man coverage. Drake London, how are you going to cover him? You can put three yeah. guys in in man. Yeah, you're not. No. So uh, expect Utah to be in the zone defense, just like everybody else against this USC offense. Uh, it's going to come down to once again SC finishing off their drives. And if they finish off their drives, I think they're going to have the ability to win this football game against a team that is still going to be working through week one jitters and has a fluid roster with all the COVID stuff. If they don't, they don't. Uh, it's it's weird that this game is going to be that simple, but I think that that's where it is. I don't think that this game is won anywhere else but in the red zone for USC on offense. Well, I mean... Uh... I I I appreciate your desire to to focus in on on anything, but for me, it's it's still the the general. <laughs> there's like a general USC issue that needs to get resolved in the trenches and in terms sure, of yeah. uh, in terms of 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 cutting out mistakes. Now right, I agree but, but with when, you. When do the when do those the trenches mistakes, have been a major issue once you get into the red yeah, zone? Yeah, when do those things rear their head? Yeah, in, in the, the red, red zone. zone. Yeah. yeah, SC is good enough to be able to move the ball even when they're struggling. This is why they have so many yards, right? Mm-hmm. Like, 
and and this is the benefit of the air raid offense. Um, and not just an air raid, but the benefit of running a spread offense in general that has so much talent that USC's offense has is that even when you're struggling, you will be productive. Our friend Trent from RainerTroy.com talks about it as empty calorie yards. And it is, those yards are empty calories, but at the same point, they're reliable empty calories. And if you can gain that yardage when you're not good, what are you going to do when you're having success, right? And so that's why I think that SC is going to be reliable to get into the red zone. It's just going to be a matter, or or really get into having scoring opportunities. Maybe not the red zone, but they're going to get inside the 40. How do you finish off those drives that are inside the 40? How do you capitalize on your opportunities? Because you've got to score every time you have that ability against Utah. Because if you don't, they'll beat you. They're well coached. Not knowing what this defense is going to look like, and this is one of the biggest problems to evaluate, uh, not not look like schematically, but in terms of the quality of the player that's on the field for Utah, I do suspect that it will be harder for USC to get into the red zone on this night than it was against Arizona or against Arizona sure, State, yeah. just given that it'll be 830 in the cold in Salt Lake City at elevation when you've just traveled and all of those kinds of things. So right. I think that we can expect to see USC's offensive production in general slow down a little bit. Yeah, I don't think but anyone like, can expect eight trips to the red but zone. But that's why every trip to the red zone will matter that much more because you're, exactly. you're not going to have eight trips to the red zone. Bingo, you're making my point. Exactly. We're so, simpatico on this, we, Michael. We, we are simpatico. Yeah. Uh, indeed. Uh, other side of the ball, um, talking about USC's defense going against uh, Utah's offense. I have a really strong take here. I'm curious your thoughts. I don't care about that matchup at all. Uh like I just don't. I do I do because I I because I I think that Jake Bentley and the 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 uh Keithy and 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 uh Britton Covey and Jordan Wilmore Wilmore if those guys are on the field and Utah's offensive line is at least as as sort of Maybe not great, but at least getting the job done. I think that there's a chance that USC is, is going to be put under some pressure here, and that uh, that 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 Utah could put up some points. Now they're going to put up points. It's going to be exactly twenty three, whether they're successful or not. Like, yes, it's going to be twenty three points. Well, I'm putting that right now. Okay, like twenty three, twenty four points. That's what Utah is going to score. Okay, but, and it's not going to matter if that is a good or bad defensive showing. That's just what it's going to be in this game. Right, but USC's defensive performance will determine whether or not it's 23 or 27, and that could be the difference between winning or losing Sure, when your offense is facing the challenge that they are facing. I, I hear you, So, but, but but if USC is losing because they're giving up 27 points, it's still the offense's fault. I'm sorry. Right. Well, well okay, yeah, you and I are, tend to be more critical of the offense because they have so much more going for them, I think. Uh, the, the thing I'm looking forward to with this particular matchup is that uh, USC's defensive lineups look pretty good in the first few weeks, and I want to see them continue to do that. I want to see Marlon Tupelotu continue to be the force that he's been. I want to see Nick Figueroa continue to be the force that he's been. And I, I want to see you know, USC's safeties and, and cornerbacks continue to, to provide a steady platform on which you can build this this defense. And really, I want to see, can can USC's linebackers 
progress from week to week. Uh, Todd Orlando was was able to 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 say uh, this week that he thought that the the defense in general was more physical against Arizona, uh, but that uh, that that they got better in in most areas. That the one thing they're still really struggling with is taking the angles to the ball and 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 completing tackles as a result, and that they've worked on that all week. Blah blah blah. Now we've heard that before. I don't know if we're we're trusted at this point, but I am curious week to week. What are we seeing from this defense? Because Todd Orlando does have the excuse still that he is bringing in a new defense, that it's going to take some time for these players to get embedded in it. And so every week we need to be able to see improvement, visible improvement. And this will be another test for them to show that, yes, they are getting better. Yes, they, 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 they are progressing. Yes, Todd Orlando is having a positive impact. Yeah, I mean, it, ideally for SC, uh, they hold Utah to 20 points instead of 24, and that will be a sign of improvement or something like that, right? Yeah. I, ideally, sure. The way I look at this, um, Utah has struggled against teams with offensive talent. Two of them last two weeks of the year, they're the only teams that put up 400 yards of total offense on them. Oregon and Texas. Oregon scored 37 points. Texas scored 38 SC was the only other team to score 30. Mind you, two of those were a safety, so SC scored 28 points on offense. Um, but Utah, Utah's this weird team to wrap my head around because they are so reliable in A, beating USC at Rice Eccles, B, being frustrating for every, every team imaginable, but C, when they play someone who just has more firepower than them, for some reason, when the game's on the line, they don't have that extra umph. And you see that with, with Utah against SC at the Coliseum. You don't see it at Rice-Eccles. But you see that against Utah in these big games, like in the Pac-12 championship game, or like in you know the, the, the Alamo Bowl last year where Texas just completely obliterated them. A, a Texas, mind you, who was the defensive coordinator for Texas in that game? Well, it was Craig Niver. Yes, it was. It was a Todd Orlando defense yes, coordinated was. at that point by Craig Niver. Yeah, and who was the offensive coordinator of the te- first team that scored 30 points against uh, Utah last year? Graham, uh, Graham Harrell. Harrell. Yeah, so, <laughs> like, I'm just saying that, like, you look at this and... With a backup cue. With a, with a no backup less. quarterback, and obviously two of those points that made 30 were on, were a safety, the sack by Drake Jackson in the end zone, all that stuff, right? I get it. But SC, there's, there's still, you know, on paper, SC needs to win this game because of their superior talent, uh, because when push comes to shove, a lot of times uh, Utah kind of folds. Mind you, again, most of that's not at Rice-Eccles. Um, and because Utah, this is week one yet again for them in the weird situation where they're going to be without so many players, they haven't been able to practice much and all that. The writing is all there on the wall for, for SC to win this game, take complete control of the Pac-12 South, um, and really get ready for whoever they're going to play in the North. But, but this is 2020. Mm-hmm. This is SC. This is a Clay Helton team. This is a USC program that has needed to pull wins out of their ass the last two weeks against teams that uh, 
we would say in different areas are not Utah. Uh, ASU, if you want to say ASU is better than Utah, sure. I'll, I'll, I'll hear that out. But, like, you know, like, this game was always circled. In, in our preseason predictions episode, I said SC would lose this game. That's because Utah at Rice Eccles um, and the preparation involved in, in the Utes is always that much better, and, and they're, they're well coached. That might be into question this year because of the COVID stuff and the preparation might be down, but it's still Utah. So I'm I'm on the same same page. I'm on the same page, and and so, so the onus on SC to finish those drives because I think they'll have the ability to. They, they absolutely will have the ability to, to get yards and, and and do that stuff, but it's on them to finish the drives on offense. And if they do that, they win the game. If not, they lose the game. Uh, I mean, yeah. I know I'm looking at it simply, but no, but I it, just, it's it's it is simple when it comes down to it. You USC just has to execute. It's just that we've seen USC not execute so often that it comes down to so many things. Yes, it does. Uh, let's get to over under, shall we? So you're going over. I'm feeling bold. Give me that over. I'll go under. I got to take an under here. I got three unders to take. I'm going to do an under here. All right, Alicia, it is time for over under. I have a commanding lead. I have eight points. You only have five. Commanding like ASU's lead in the final three minutes of the game in week one. I'm still two and over you. (laughs) You're not two and oh. You're two oh and one. I have the lead at the end of both weeks. That's like being 2-0. That is you know? not how that works. Basically, you know, come on. Um, anyways, what's your first over-under? All right, we're keeping it simple here. 2.5, that is points scored by USC in the final 90 seconds of this game. This is the most absurd line we've ever had in this, <laughs> in this stupid over-under game. And I'm mad at you for putting it in there. Oh, just doing it. <sighs> Now, the obvious reason for why I'm setting this over under is USC has had to score a lot of points in the final 90 seconds of, of the games this, this year. True. Basically, this is an over under that determines will you will this game come down to USC scoring to win the game late? Not necessarily. It could be scoring to put it out of reach. Or it could be scoring garbage in garbage time when they're already down by 30. It could you be. Know, who knows? Yes. I am a sucker. I'm going to take the over. It is two and a half, which means a safety would not qualify. Here. It's field goal or uh, or touchdown. I'm I'm the sucker. Okay, so hear me out here. How many times has USC gotten a safety in the last ninety seconds of a game? Like has Safety's that ev- happened though? But but usually you take a safety to uh, to see out the yeah, yeah like the like to to not have to not uh, to not botch a punt a, or yeah. something like that, right? Um, that would be hilarious if that happened in this game, by the way. <laughs> uh, if Utah just took a, took a safety and then uh, punted the ball away that way. But uh, the, the, the way I look at it is I, I, SC has completely shot their, their benefit of the doubts with those last two weeks and having to pull it out of their rear at the end. Because I don't think on paper there's any shame in having a last-second win at Utah. You haven't won there the last three trips. Every one of those games has been hard fought. Two of them have come to the last minute where SC has lost in the last minute in 2014 uh, and 2016. Uh, you know, with uh, Troy Williams getting a big uh, a big W there for for the Utes in 2016. So 
these teams constantly play close games. Uh, look at 2017. Uh, Utah scores in the last minute and ends up going for two, and they can't pull it out with Troy Williams, right? So these teams play close games. Because of that, I'm going to take the over. I don't necessarily know that it's going to be indicative of the same problems in week one and two persisting, which is why the benefit of the doubt's there, because I think if SC wins a close game with a late field goal or something, that people will compare it to the first two weeks, even if it's not. Um, and that will certainly hurt USC in that sense. Um, I still think it's definitely a high possibility that this game comes down to the end. So give me the over. I, I think that the best way, I mean, the, the, the most likely way for USC to not have to score points in the 90s, in the final 90 seconds is if they are so far ahead that they're running out the clock kind of situation. Sure. But I agree with you. You shouldn't bet on that. No, no, no. Uh, not indeed. Uh, so I'll take the over, which locks you in for the under is the house. Uh, my first over under is 449.5 yards of total offense for USC. That is a high total, mm-hmm. but hear me out. Uh, SC gained 556 against ASU, 498 against Arizona. The Trojans are ninth nationally in yards per game. Averaging 527th. However, USC is 37th in yards per play, giving them a ton of room to grow. It's kind of weird that SC is in this situation. They've just run a lot of plays. That is what's helping them uh, in that way. Uh, SC is averaging 85 plays per game, 95 and 75 in the first two weeks. And Utah has not allowed an 80-play defensive performance since 2017. Did not do it each of the last two years. Utah only allowed 400 yards twice last year. It came in those two games, Oregon and Texas at the end, that kind of blew up their season. Uh, And they've only allowed 450 yards once in the last two years. USC, Oregon, and Arizona in 2016 were the last three teams with 450-plus yards at Rice-Eccles. Does SC add their name there four years later to get the over? 449.5 449.5 yards of total offense for USC over under. Oh, buddy. Okay. So this is giving me heart palpitations because we don't know who is going to be on the field for Utah on Saturday. They could throw a bunch of walk-ons out there, at which point this is all this is all just a disaster. But but not knowing who's going to play not knowing anything like that, no the 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 factors that I have to base this on are they're at Rice Eccles at elevation in the cold with a quarterback who they won't acknowledge has a wobbly ball. Alicia, you're with not off- going to have to talk about it again <laughs> after this week with an offensive line that can't block to save their lives unless their name is uh, three words, a i e Elijah Vera Tucker, and. All of the 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 just red flags that go off in my head when I think about like who do I trust more, Morgan Scaley or or USC's offense? I think I trust Utah more in this case, even though it is entirely possible they throw a bunch of walk-ons out there, and USC like they have like you know five foot six walk-on trying to defend Drake London, in which case 
throw all these out. But at elevation, though, that five six uh, dB becomes like six four. Yeah, there you go. Uh, I'm going with the under on this. I I don't trust uh, USC wow. okay. at Rice Eccles. Yeah, I I'm glad you were picking that one, but looking ahead, I'm terrified of the next one that you've given me. Um, I, I was talking about before we we were doing this and we were writing down the rundown, and you know I don't like how last week, um the the robots were six and zero as a consensus. That means they kicked our butt, Michael. Yeah, it does. But then again, we were six and zero against the house also. So that's true. Um, no, the way I look at it, we need to have lines that are tougher, tougher. Lines that are hard to choose, and these are some lines that are hard <laughs> to pick. Yep. Um, which leads us into your second over under, which might be the hardest one of this entire week. Oh man, I agonized over even what to put this line at. I changed it like five times before we we started recording. So this is three hundred and seventy nine point five yards of total offense for Utah. So this is a, a reflection Ooh. of USC's defense. Now, Arizona had 444 yards. Arizona State had 392 yards of total offense. Last year, Utah put up 457 yards of offense against USC. I don't even remember that, but wow. The thing is that last year when Utah played Texas... They only had 254 yards of offense. And as we mentioned before, that Texas team was an Orlando scheme that was being run by Craig Niver. Todd Orlando is USC's defensive coordinator. Craig Niver is USC's safeties coach. And USC's coaches have talked this week about how they are leaning on Niver's experience against Utah in that game uh, to to guide them as far as preparing this defense. So there's a chance that USC really tightens things up here against a Utah offense that we don't even know what, you know, what they're going to be capable of, what they're going to look like. You know, Jake Bentley could come out and be the next coming of, uh, I don't know, name somebody uh, who who could compare to him, like Anthony Gordon or whatever, like someone who just comes in and, and is prolific from day one. But also Utah, they're not known for their offense. They're not known for putting up a lot of yards. So... 379.5 yards of total offense. If I had to pick this line, I wouldn't. I genuinely would flip a coin. I see it both ways. I, I think that in a lot of ways, I do not trust Utah's offense. I don't trust USC's defense either. Um, I think I'm going to take the under. Um, And... Don't take that as a confidence boost in necessarily in SC's offense. Uh, but I, I look back and you look at Utah's offense last year. They only had 372 yards in, in a 30-point win against Colorado that won them the, the, the division. Um, they had 342 in a dominant win over ASU. They've, they had 368 in a dominant win at BYU. Like, they can play games in which they play well and don't get yards, and that was with an offense that had Zach Moss and Tyler Huntley. Mind you, they had a ton of games with over 500 yards last year too. But cold weather, 
week one jitters, all that stuff. I think it's going to be harder for them to get yards. It's going to be under. I, I don't. I don't expect this to get, this game to be decided in the 30s and 40s um, in terms of points. I think it's going to be kind of hard fought, um, which means not as many yards as maybe you would think. Yeah, so give I, the under. I, I like I said, I wouldn't know which way to choose this one, so I'm glad you had to pick it, not me. All right, uh, let's go to the next one. Mine over under 3.5 first down runs by a Utah quarterback. Oh Jesus! This can be Jake Bentley. This can be Cameron Rising. It doesn't matter who this is. 3.5 first down runs by a Utah quarterback. Uh, why is it at 3.5? Because both Grant Cannell and Jaden Daniels would have qualified for the over. Jaden Daniels had four. Grant Cannell had six. Jake Bentley um, can move. He isn't a, a runner per se. He did have 143 yards in 33 games at South Carolina. Cameron Rising it was considered a pro-style quarterback coming out of high school. Uh, before he went to Texas. So I neither of these guys are, are Tyler Huntley, neither of them are Michael Vick or Jake Locker or insert running quarterback here. Yeah, but neither was Grant Canal. But neither was Grant Canal. <laughs> so three and a half. Over under. Oh Lordy. Um This is this is impossible. So okay, just to, to give my my thought process here the likelihood of usc's defense once again giving up that many opportunities to an opposing quarterback on scrambles should be extremely low after two weeks of it happening right but what should happen is not often what happens with usc's defense or offense and the biggest complaint that i think we have at this point about usc is their inability to correct these kinds of things or their unwillingness to correct these kinds of things or both. So, uh, like, my my brain is saying, nah, you take the under there because the likelihood of any quarterback running for four first downs is, is relatively low when they're not a, a dual threat. Versus my heart that's screaming, don't trust USC's defense. What are you doing, you idiot? So uh, that's that's where I'm at at this point. Uh, <sighs> Gotta pick one. Over under three and a half. I, I think I'm going to go with the under. Okay. For no reason except that that's the word that just came out of my mouth. All right. Uh, yeah, that was that was a hard one uh, for me, and I'm glad I'm not picking. So yeah. <laughs> thank you uh, for uh, for being the one who has to jump off the cliff there. Um, good luck with that one. Good luck with all of these. They're really hard. Uh, what, what's your what's your last over under? All right, we got four point five. Brew McCoy catches. He had five against ASU. He had three against Arizona. He has looked both. We had has looked good in both games. I expect his involvement to continue to rise as the season goes on. And then you factor in that Michael Pittman had his way with Utah last year, 10 catches for 232 yards. Brew McCoy is now in Michael Pittman's, essentially his 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 spot, his role, and he's got that kind of talent to him as well. So do we think Brew McCoy is going to end up with five catches in this game? 
So you mentioned uh, Michael Pittman last year going 10 for 232. Um, in that game, Amon Ra had five catches. Tyler Bonds had four. So I think if if there is a USC receiver who does go off, um, whether it be in pan coverage or zone, I guess it doesn't matter, um, I would have to imagine that I can't see there being that many catches to go around for Brew McCoy to get four. Um, Drake London only had four last week, which was half the amount that he had in week one against ASU. I expect him to be a little bit more involved. Um, I expect Brew McCoy to get more more action as the season goes on. But a line of four and a half means you got to get five to get it. That's one too many for me. Give me the under. That's fair. I, I think it could go a lot of different ways on uh, on Brew McCoy catches, especially if other receivers are, are, are having more attention paid to them by the defense. But I'm looking forward to see Brew McCoy continue to uh to grow this season. So got high hopes. I'm not I'm not too mad about having this over. Alright, which leads us into the last one of the week. Uh mine over under one and a half. One and a half tackles for loss for Drake Jackson. He had one stack against ASU, two stacks against Arizona. That's three stacks total, and he is also tied for third in the Pac twelve with three tackles for loss. They're all sacks. He's yet to tackle a rusher back there um, or anyone else in the backfield that wasn't a sack, but over under one and a half tackles for loss for Jake Jackson. He had one last year against Utah. It was a loss of six yards. It was a sack. It went down for a safety in the end zone. Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> Who would wreak havoc against Utah? Uh, last time we, SC went to Rice Eccles, it was uh, Christian Rector. Yeah. And we had three and a half in the first first half alone, remember that? Yeah. So here's my issue. On the previous over-unders that we were doing, it was very easy for me to just sit back and go, all right, who do I trust more? And then base it on that. Well, the problem here is that I, I trust Drake Jackson. <laughs> like, but, uh, you know, predicting two tackles for loss in a game is, 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 uh, you know, it's 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 not something that makes me super comfortable just because of the nature of, of play. Like, it's entirely possible Utah just doesn't even give Drake Jackson any opportunities because they just go away from him every play. Uh, you know, screw it. I'm going over. Dang going it. Over. I wanted the over. I, it's, I, I, this could easily, like, just be a quiet game for Drake Jackson and it's sure. it wouldn't be a big deal. And he could he could have... The same quiet game he had against ASU where he was good, but quiet, and it wouldn't be a problem for USC, but but also, I don't know. I, I've, I've just got a feeling I'm going Drake Jackson. I like SC to have a lot of tackles for loss in this game, um, even in the running game. I don't know that that will be indicative of anything else because we know that this team is boomer bust on defense, yes. so don't read too much into that, but I definitely like um, Drake Jackson to hit the over there. So I'm jealous. I will ride with the under, uh, which leads us to you guys. You guys now have the opportunity. Uh, check out the show notes. Check out Twitter. Check out Slack if you have access to that uh, to get the link to fill out your over-under picks. As a consensus, you guys were 6 out last week, so pretty smart. We'll see if you guys can continue to do it. 
Um, game predictions. Bill Connolly says USC by 1.5. Uh, he gives USC a 53% win probability. His numbers say SC wins 32-30. Vegas has USC opening as a four-point favorite that has dropped a little bit since. And the over-under opened at 56.5, which has kind of gone up. Uh, Alicia, what's your, what's your score prediction? I decided very early in this week that I don't trust USC at all. The way that they've been playing is not worthy of our trust. So I am going with Utah in the win here, even though so much could go wrong for the Utes. It is definitely betting on something that is uh, very, very shaky, but uh, USC's got to show me something before I start picking them again this season. So I'm going Utah 26, USC 22. Show me something. Show the fans something. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I think we're, we're simpatico here. I'm picking the Utes. Uh, I picked Utah in our season predictions episode. Sticking with it, I said 23 points is what they'd score. So that's where I am. Utah at 23, USC at 21, which means I have no faith in USC's red zone uh, offense. Why, I think they'll score 21 points. I think they'll, they'll score three touchdowns. But I think there's probably at least one or two more red zone trips that end up being the difference in the game. Yep. SC will leave points on the board somewhere, and those are the points that would have easily allowed them to win the game. And, yeah, that's where I'm at. All right. Let's take a quick break, come back, and get to the mailbag. You've got mail. All right, Alicia, let's go to an email we got from Tim. Hello, Rain of Troy. I never know how to address my emails to you. Hello, Rain of Troy. Looks a little impersonal on the screen, but it sounds friendly when you read it on the podcast. Maybe it's just one of the things I overthink. Salutations, Rain of Troy. Michael's segment on the Arizona Fallout episode about finding things you enjoy with this team was spot freaking on. Michael was right. Michael was right. Michael was right. This is not my mom emailing the show, by the way. <laughs> it's really not. Um, this all or nothing thinking that has uh, permeated public discourse lately is driving me bonkers. I made a point on Twitter, bad idea I know, that some people only see USC football through the lens of wanting Clay Helton fired. No spectacular play, great performance, or comeback win can be enjoyed by them because Clay Helton is still the head coach. I promptly got a reply informing me that I was wrong because Clay Helton is still the head coach. I think this is a larger problem than just USC football. It's how people see the world and disagreements these days, and I wish it weren't so. Lastly, something clicked when Clay Helton called USC, quote, an extremely disciplined bunch. Do you remember USC's snapping issues with Toa Lobendon? Criticism of Toa's performance was met with the defense of him as a man. We weren't questioning his character or his value as a person. We wanted his snapping issues fixed. Do you think Clay Helton receives criticism of his players as attacks on them personally? That could explain the lack of self-awareness and self-criticism. Why else make a point to say that the team has been disciplined despite being second to last in penalties and last in penalty yards. Fight on and beat the whoever's this Saturday. Tim in Los Angeles. Thanks for the email, Tim. Great email, by the way. I think uh, I speak for Michael when I say we agree on, on pretty much everything. Uh, the, the question that you pose at the end, I think, is 
I think it's a complicated one because I don't know if it's something as as simple as as Helton is taking the criticism personally, as I think that Helton has personal relationships with these with these players, with these kids, and thus defends them in in much the same way that uh, a, a parent might go out of their way to defend a child and maybe overlook their shortcomings as a result. My my mom was a teacher for a long time, and that was one of her biggest complaints, is that parents were too quick to assume that it was the teacher's fault that something happened and, and not the the student's fault. And she always told this anecdote about a parent who came in to have a meeting uh, because uh, the, the, the child was, um, those are high, high school students, but uh, the child was having some problems in the class and uh, the, the, the mother sat down with my mom and my mom told her, well, uh, you know, these are the, the assignments that they haven't done and uh, these are the, the reasons that the grade is what it is. And the mother turned to the kid and said, wait, why aren't you listening to, to her? She seems perfectly reasonable. Like, what are you doing? And my mom always remembered that specific anecdote because it was such a rarity that a parent would side with the teacher and not their kid. And it's this blind spot that you get. And Clay Hilton always describes his uh, his role as, you know, he has 120 kids or whatever on the team. And while I think that's a great thing in terms of the way that he would sort of love and, and respect the, the players, sometimes I think it leads to situations where he makes excuses for them because he loves them. And that is not conducive to producing a winning football team. Uh, being critical in the right moments is understanding when there is a when there is a problem and being willing to call it out is is what you need to do to to really succeed under these circumstances. So I would say that uh, that that you sort of Tim, you might be on to something a little bit here, but uh, it's it's definitely a, a complex kind of issue uh, that uh, that that I think gets Clay Hilton into trouble a lot of the time because he will make constant excuses for why things aren't going the right way instead of just owning it more often. I mean, that was he did that uh, in addition to that ridiculous statement about uh, the team being disciplined in in critical situations, which anyone who watches this team knows that, you know, he might have picked one or two situations where that was the case. But there are four or five situations where that is not the case and he's just conveniently ignoring them. He also had some some questionable comments about, you know, USC's run uh, run totals and and. And how, uh, you know, USC is is running the ball fine because they have a 5.1 or whatever uh, yard per carry average, except that that number is is cherry picked because it doesn't truly reflect the success rate of USC's off of USC's running attack. But he can cherry pick those numbers because he's decided that he's going to defend to the death the uh, the reputation of this team, even though. That reputation is well earned by what we see on the field. Yeah, Clayton is always going to defend his players. He's going to defend his team. I, I I don't have a problem with it. Um, that's what some coaches do. Um, and if you basically you want someone to fight for your players, right? You want in, someone in to public, have their back. 
Yeah, yeah you, you. I have no problem with a coach in public always being positive. If right. if I felt that when the cameras aren't on, when they're in meeting uh, rooms, herein lies the issue. Yes, yes, because yeah, if if Clay Elton is one hundred percent gonna always back his players, he's gonna you know say that it was windy for for Keaton Slovis's ball, and he's gonna say that Toa Lobanon is 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 a is great and all these stuff about his snapping and. And whatever, if you did all those things, but then corrected, you saw the issues get corrected, it would be a different story. But it's not. And I think that's that's what's frustrating for a lot of fans because, you know, we see it in our Twitter mentions every single week that anytime we mention anything that Clay Helton says, um, it gets met with a bunch of groans. And I think it's because of not necessarily the things that he says, but it's because there isn't any progress in the things that he says, which are the things that result in wins and losses, right? Um, and that's what it comes down to. If SC was winning every week, if SC had won multiple Pac-12 championships and a Rose Bowl and then the playoff and all that stuff, people would love the things that Clay Elton is saying when he defends his players because it would be endearing. Um, and then you would know that you know behind the scenes – he is being uh, a catalyst or or at least allowing someone to be a catalyst to fix the issues. But SC is struggling uh, to win games. And many of the problems that people see and many of the questions that USC gets asked, not just Clay Helton, but the players, uh, get asked about those frustrations and those, those criticisms seem to continue and per- to persist and they don't get addressed. Uh, and then they result in a, in a loss here and there. And so then the the response to all of those answers become groans and they become frustrating and they become things that lead to emails like this from Tim, right? So th- that's the situation. I think if, if you had the reliability that they were getting fixed off the field, everything would change. Mm-hmm. They, they wouldn't be a big deal. So yep. you got to win games. You got to improve the little things and go from there. Uh, thanks for the email, Tim, as always. Uh, let's go to an email we got from Jake, who says, Hi, Mike and Alicia. Thoughts on Vavai playing as our main running back? His pass blocking is essential as our offensive line is not protecting well. He's a better pass catcher, and he can still pick up some yards in an RPO or draw play. The others are great, but don't match our strengths or compensate for our deficiencies. Oh, and I was happy to see the new over-under format Thank you for remembering and implementing it. Fight on, Jake. Thank you for the email, Jake. I promise our listeners that I did not solicit this email. And I uh, I might certainly had, did not submit it myself under the pseudonym, Jake. This is someone other than me hmm. who, who loves my guy, Vi. Hmm. Uh, yeah. We, I don't know. I get an email praising me. You get an email <laughs> praising you. Are we stuffing the mailbag? guy. Yeah, my guy Vi. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, okay, so here's here's my thoughts on USC's running backs. They're all really good. I genuinely think that they are all really good. Uh I would not be upset if Marquis Step was the primary running back. I would not be upset if Stephen Carr was the primary running back. I would not be upset if Avai Malapai was the primary running back. I'm not a super big fan of the rotation because I don't know, call me old school, but like I buy into the idea that running backs and the offensive lines that block for them need to get into a rhythm 
and uh, and and there's a certain amount of chemistry there that you that you uh, can lose. I, can I push back on that really quick? I um, it's fair, yeah. I think that that's what they do. Uh, if you look at the carries, Step gets all of his all of his carries in chunks because it's about the rhythm that they get. Yeah, yeah, yeah I get that. I, I, I like. It's not like they're they're pulling them I, out every other play. I would say that the, they come in for spurts, and yes. so they're allowed to get that come in. They're they're allowed to. Uh, an opportunity to get that momentum but and all that. But it's almost like they have to rebuild it from the ground sure, up sure. every drive. Now, right. I don't know if it would be different. I, I don't think that's the crux of the issue but, but, for USC. I don't running. know how you avoid that. Anyways, yeah, yeah. With, with three running backs. I don't mind. Like I said, the rate, rotation is not my issue. The lack of a single back is, is not my issue or anything like that. My issue is the offensive line not doing enough to set the running backs up for success. And I think that Jake makes a, a decent point about how you need your best pass blocker in there in order to make up for the deficiencies of the uh, of the offensive line. Um, but I don't think that uh, that USC is getting anything less out of any one of those running backs in terms of carrying the ball or or producing for the offense. It's really the cogs that are around them. That I think are, uh, are are things that concern me. Yeah, I, I like the idea that Jake's got here. Um, I think that that's why you see Vi on those drives I late mean, in games. This is the, that's the thing is there is a reason Vi has been on the field for the final drive of each game. Yeah, he can block. Yeah, uh, and there's no point in having Marquis step on the on the field on those drives when you're not going to throw to him nearly as much as you're going to throw to Vi and Carr. You're not going to run the ball uh, on the final drive when you have to score in, in the last minute, right? Like, Except for all the times that USC has, has ended sure, up but, doing it. But, but not, the, not but, the... But it's a surprise because... But not the style of, yeah. of running that, that Marquis Step is going to get you, right? So yeah. it's a completely different thing there. So, yeah, I, I'm... I'm I'm indifferent on the running backs. I think they all uh, have their own strength. Uh, I'd be fine, like you said, if I got more playing time, but I think the, what it comes down to is the, the O-line needs to get better. Um, and Vi certainly helps, uh, but he, he doesn't help enough to offset the problem. At the same yeah, time. I guess that would be that would be my... Where I think that this falls short just a little bit is like Vi is not any, a super elite pass blocker who is making a huge difference in that regard. I think he's just the most proficient of the three. Yeah. It's not like he goes in there and they score on every drive because he's yeah. in there. Yeah. Moving on, let's go to a Slack message we got from BJ and Inglewood. Uh, did anyone else think the team speed increased in the second half with Goforth and Scott in the middle, that linebacker? Yes, I think it did. I think it did with uh, with with Ray Scott coming in for Ian Aoteote, who still looks a little bit lumbering, a little bit slow. And uh, and Raymond Scott is is anything but. I mean, he's he was playing safety up until a few weeks ago, so he can definitely get around. Um, hopefully that. I mean, it, as I've said a, a few times here, my hope is that that can make a difference for USC. But it needs to be coinciding with Goforth and Scott taking the right angles, hitting the right hole, plugging the right hole being reliable in in run in, in their run fits, uh, being reliable chasing down a ball carrier, those things need to also be there along with their uh, 
their speed. Yeah, and experience is going to help with that. Absolutely. Once that is able to to come into it. Uh, BJ also says, what should they do to adjust to Keaton's apparent arm troubles? I don't know. I, um, I don't think you want to drastically change the offense, but his arm struggles, at least the way the ball has looked, does change how the ball comes out. It changes, changes the trajectory, changes what you're able to do. Uh, I think Shotgun over at USDFootball.com has done a great job of explaining how. Um, if you're Keaton Slovis, you got to throw it harder, throw it farther, um, because it's going to not have the aerodynamics to to be as tight of a spiral and go farther, right? So um, that's preventing uh, opportunities uh, in the offensive line because he's got to get more time to throw the ball and put more effort into it. It's preventing opportunities for the receivers to catch and run uh, because it's harder to catch the ball. It's harder to catch it um, in the right spot also, all those kind of things. But I don't know how you adjust to it um, in a way that doesn't completely change everything. Um, because I think how they adjusted to it is how that they've been doing it, which is you just have a lot of checkdowns. Like that, I think that's what the adjustment is. Uh, is is that is it too simple? Uh, is that an adjustment though? I guess uh, it's, yeah, it's I guess. not an adjustment, yeah. but it, but it's a, it. I think it absolutely is a byproduct, and it's why I guess the argument here. I think that if Graham Harrell was here, he'd say, "Well, look, look what's look what the difference is. The difference is maybe a few more checkdowns, but if you look at the yardage gained, they're still getting it into the red zone. So like we can sit here and say that that's not the problem." of SC's offense because they're still gaining those yards. They're just not finishing off the drives. Yeah. Uh, and I don't know that his arm strength is why they're not finishing off the drives. It certainly plays a role. Like if they were able to have catch and run opportunities a little bit more, uh, that would help make fewer plays. I think shotgun over on tunnel vision mentioned that on that final drive or the second to last drive, they had to run three more plays than they would have if, Keen Slovis would have found Drake Jackson. Uh, Drake London. God, when am I ever going to stop? Never. I know. Drake London, uh, if he f- leads him with the perfect spiral, uh, he walks into the end zone. But nope. And then SCS to run like three more plays in the red zone. So it all plays a little bit of a role. Yeah. I Like you said, I don't know where the adjustments are except get better. Yeah, which, is, to which say, is a lame answer, right? Yeah, which is to say if the offensive line gave Keaton Slovis more time to throw, he would have more time and more comfort to step up into his throws and get the velocity that he needs. But that's not what he's been given. Right. Or at least not consistently enough. And so that's what you're you're seeing. So I yeah. <laughs> not a satisfying answer, but it's it's uh I think it is the answer. Yep. Let's go to Pacific Northwest Trojan who says, which of our seniors and draft eligible juniors will make use of the extra year of eligibility available because of the pandemic? I think, uh, well, we know that that someone like uh, like Drake, Jake Lichtenstein was, was probably going to come back yeah. next year, uh, but he's opting back in I with the extra linemen, eligibility. Linemen do this. Yeah, well, I mean, Brandon like Peely, Liam Jimmins should should take advantage of yeah, this. Yeah, for sure. Uh, uh, 
Peely should take advantage of this. Jordan Iacefa? Jordan Iacefa will take advantage of this. Uh, the um, I find it, based on the way Marlon Tuploto is playing right now, I find it hard to believe that USC will have him in 2021. Tyler be- Vaughn should come back and then just obliterate every, every record. Okay, this is very, very <laughs> selfish of me because I love a record breaker, but like, yes, Tyler Vaughn should and just obliterate every record. That's that's exactly what he should do. <laughs> uh, I wonder if Avai Malapai will do it. Uh, with running backs, it's harder to say because their their shelf life in the NFL if they have NFL aspirations, it is is lower. But I think that uh, he could, you know, have an opportunity. This to... is where it, it's tough to look at this from our perspective. Yeah, because because I, I think we can look at this and and I don't think I'm speaking out of turn by saying I don't think Vivai Malpea is going to be an NFL running back. Yeah, I don't think so either. But if you're Vivai Malpea, you want to give yourself that opportunity, probably, yeah. right? Who knows? Maybe it could be. Yeah. Um, the NFL running back situation is weird that a lot of times guys aren't even stars in college and they end up being really good in the NFL. So who knows? Um, but I wouldn't be surprised if he looked at at, at it, you know, kind of like we would look at it and say, probably not going to be an NFL guy. Maybe I can just have an extra year in college. Maybe? Get a master's. I, 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 I mean, mean, and that's the other thing. To, that's the other thing to consider is that uh, some of these guys may be may have the self-awareness to understand that they probably don't have an NFL future. Well, would it suit them to have another year in school where they can get a master's right. degree or, or do the uh, sort of graduate work? So that's a, that's something else to consider, I think. The, the other thing is that I think is important to, to mention here, how many of those guys are going to have opportunities or look for opportunities elsewhere? Yeah. Because – I think there's going to be a ton of transfers Huge after the season. Yes. Because we, we don't know what the situation's going to be in terms of roster count. Um, some guys might want to come back, but you you have incoming recruiting classes. Um, and I know that SC's incoming recruiting classes aren't, like, you know, uh, filled with blue chippers that are as many blue chip, chippers as fans would like. Well, there's but a lot you, of there's a lot of blue chippers in this class, but though, you've so. got to you got to prepare for the future, yeah. right? And so, bringing on a fifth year senior that that versus young guys you need to develop is a difficult uh, equation. And maybe if you're a coach, you kind of like nudge someone to take an opportunity elsewhere. I don't know. I don't know. It, it's going to be an interesting question. But I would say the lineman um, might be an interesting thought there. Uh, Pacific Northwest Trojan also says, will anyone opt out mid-year to prep for the draft? That's been happening for other teams when it's clear the team isn't going to compete for anything meaningful. I don't know. And I think that that might happen after a loss. But then again, I sit here and think, who would be the guys who would be leaving for the draft? Um, you're talking about Talano Hufanga, Amonara St. Brown, Tyler Vaughn's AVT. Yes, but AVT is making himself money every week that he plays. He he needs the film at tackle, so he's not mm-hmm. going to do that. Amon I can't Ra imagine too competitive. he's too competitive to ever take a rep off. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I Talanoa think still needs the film too. Talanoa Vanga needs the film with all of his injuries trouble. I I would say that Tyler Vaughn's needs the film because, um, or Tyler Vaughn's is in a situation where the film doesn't matter. Yeah, because. Tyler Bonds is what he is. The, the I think he's thing, going to be like a like a late day three pick, uh, and he might make in the NFL. He might not, but I don't know that 
I don't know that staying or leaving is going to affect his his draft stock. The other thing to consider is that there's a reason USC didn't have a lot of opt-outs to begin with. There is a team unity that exists, and uh, I think that that might also play into, even if things go poorly, I don't know that I would expect a lot of guys to straight up give up. Not that I think it would be giving up to opt out and get ready for the draft, but I think that uh, there's a lot of sort of that unity makes me think that that wouldn't be something that happens. You've got mail. Let's go to a voicemail we got from Cameron. Hey, Raina Troy. It's Cameron from Frisco, Texas. I just wanted to say that the real MVP of the game was actually Alicia Daratola's rant during the car cast. It was spot on. It was amazing. It was almost like written like Shakespeare. Beautifully well done. I appreciated it. That's exactly how I'm feeling right now. I'm just annoyed. I'm PO'd. It's time for Clay Helton to go once again. The issue isn't, you know, Graham Harrell or Todd Orlando. The issue is Clay Helton. So while I was watching the game, started thinking, you know, started thinking about Harry Potter. I don't know if you guys are fans of Harry Potter, but if I had to guess, Michael is probably not a fan of Harry Potter, just like how he hates the Mighty Ducks, hates bacon, hates Thanksgiving, hates Christmas, just doesn't like anything in life. So, you know, except for F1, because we all know Michael Castillo loves F1, like passionately. So if Clay Hilton had to be a wizard or a character from Harry Potter, who would he be? And why? And I started thinking, I got it. Clay Helton is Gilderoy Locker. He is a pretty boy that thinks he knows how to cope. But in retrospective, he doesn't. It was just like Gilderoy Locker. He was a pretty boy, thought he knew magic, he knew exactly what to do, and he was a complete train wreck. He was a disaster. I'm like, the only difference between Clay Helton and Gilderoy Locker is that Clay Helton needs to write some books about himself and about his coaching. And then he would be Gilderoy Locker in the form of a coach. So I'm just waiting for the point in time where... Clay Helton is going to um, find some sort of broken wand or have some sort of disaster, like maybe Keenan Slovis's arm, to just, like, completely obliterate him and get him off the face of, you know, USC football off the planet. So I'm just wondering, who would you pick as your Harry Potter character for Clay Helton? And I would just say Keaton Slovis was Ron Weasley, because, you know, Ron Weasley at the time had a broken wand, and that's basically like Keaton Slovis's arm. It's a dead arm. It's all, it's just dead. It's whatever he tries to do, it just backfires on him, and it doesn't work. So I love your thoughts if you are interested in Harry Potter or not. So here we go. Fight out. Beat the youth. If we're playing the youth, if not, beat the Buffaloes. Thanks for the call, Cameron. That might be my favorite call that we've ever had into the rant line, just on pure sort of hitting my my nerd buttons. I am a huge Harry Potter fan, have been since I was a kid. And uh, so these these analogies that you were spinning there were were, yes, they were they were pretty on point, Cameron. The the Harry Potter character that I would argue, though, for Clay Hilton is one Sybil Trelawney. That's the divination professor. And I say this because she was sort of just a a mess, really not great at her job. But she did have that one moment of of like she got it right when she had the, the prophecy about Harry and that she's basically living off of that one moment for decades as a as a teacher at Hogwarts. And I think that's got to be Clay Helton. He's like living on this one success in, in 2016. It's It's gotten him to 2020. And even though he's sort of misstepped here and there and is, is generally regarded as a, as a bit of a joke 
by uh, by by a lot of people in the fan base. He's still employed because of that one sort of gleaming moment where he he got it right. So that's my argument for for Clay Hilton comparison. Uh, but uh, I don't know about you, Michael. I can't come up with one. And it's not because I'm not a Harry Potter person. I love the first four books. Uh, I love the first three movies. Um, Prisoner of Azkaban is the best, clearly. If you don't think it is, then you're wrong. Um, but um, the the last three books I never read, the last three movies, uh, it took me forever to watch. I don't even remember the last three movies, really, to tell you. So I'm more of an early Harry Potter series person. And even then, I can't, I, I can't, I can't tell you. I, I got nothing. I got nothing on this. Hmm. Uh, yeah, I can't. Uh, well, to be fair, I can't think of anybody but the Lockhart and Trelawney uh, comparison. So I don't think you are. You know, you know. Okay, I got one. Michael Gambone. Oh, snap. That's good. That's good. We, we, the, the, the actor who played Dumbledore. The, the, the second the one. The replacement. The replacement. Not as good as Richard Harris. Yes. Objectively. And yeah. and not not just not as good as Richard Harris, because if Michael Gambone had just come in and done a Richard Harris impression and done his Dumbledore that way, he would have been a better Dumbledore. But uh, but Michael Gambone came in and like made it too flourishy was a little bit too flamboyant as uh as as Dumbledore not in the sense of like uh, of of uh he just wasn't understated the way that uh, Richard Harris was playing the role and that I think that m- many people imagined D- uh, Dumbledore to be understated even in his sort of uh wittiness and 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 all of that so yeah I like it the other one I would see that I, I could see him as Ron. Part part of a, a coaching family. Yeah. A, a big family, right? Yeah. But Ron got by on his own time. Um, yeah. I'd, I don't know. I don't know if I can stretch that one. All right. <laughs> Let's go to a Slack message from Evan. Who will lose the game first, USC football or basketball? Knowing that the the basketball season is... is, is n- so much in flux right now it's 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 hard to say what's going to go on with USC basketball but it doesn't really matter what's going on with USC basketball because I think USC is going to lose a game on Saturday so I I'd say they will lose a game before USC basketball even starts playing yeah according to ESPN um and this tells you how much we've paid attention um we we believe this is the latest USC schedule because it's not on USC's website by the way um SC opens the season next Wednesday against Cal Baptist. And then they play Saturday the 28th against Montana before hosting BYU on Tuesday, December 1st. Right. So I I still think USC football will lose before USC basketball does. Yeah. I mean, I'm predicting that SC loses this week anyways. Yeah. We'll go with that uh, with with that for Evan. Uh, Slack message from SJ in Santa Barbara. Last one of the week here. Rank USC's most notorious scandals. We will assume OJ's double murder uh, is number one. Go from there. See, am I weird that I wouldn't put OJ number one because I don't think OJ had anything in particular to do with USC. 
Uh, the, no, the scandal I am did. A thousand percent in agreement. OJ was a former USC player who hadn't, who was retired from the NFL by the time that happened. He was, uh, you know, I mean, he he was definitely synonymous with USC to a certain point, but like, I don't think that was a USC scandal. I don't think USC had anything to do with it. Um, so that's I would make that argument there. Uh, I I think that. With USC scandals, it's, you know, are we going USC athletics scandals or are we going like USC university scandals? Because I think the uh, the doctor, the uh, gynecologist is probably the low. Yes, that's way up there. Um, I don't know. I find these things difficult to rank. Um, I, I'll name five. I don't know that they're I, I won't rank them, but here's five for you. Um, the gynecologist. Uh, the whole um, uh, admission scandal. Yes. Uh, I'll go with the pay-for-play scandals back in the 50s that ended up taking down the conference, uh, the, the, the PCC. old uh, the PCC. Yeah. Uh, let's add that in there. For th- Because of notoriety, not because this was as bad as everything else, because I genuinely don't think it was as bad as everything else, but because of the notoriety, I think you have to add the Reggie Bush and OJ Mayo thing. Yeah. That's that's there. And then the last one, um, um There was the medical school dean. Let's go with uh, Marv Goo selling tickets. No, I didn't even know that one. Yeah. Yeah. One of the reasons SC was on uh, probation in mm. the 80s, yeah. Mm. I mean, uh, so we could talk about the, you know, history of eugenics oh, with, yeah. uh, with uh, VKC. Von Kleinsman. Yeah, Kleinsman, yeah. Uh, VKC, that's not great. Um, but, the, like, those are so old. Like, I, I, would, I would sort of put it more to what was more recent, I guess, things that have, have sort of uh, fallen into the scandal category where, like, it's happened while we've been sort of alive. Uh, Josh Shaw, Lane Kiffin, the deflated footballs. Yeah, these things that... Jersey swapping. They were important to the last decade, but... The like, black eye. Overall, were they that... You know, they were just are they going to be written, written like, put in, them, in books for decades? Put them know. all together. They're all just embarrassing. I mean, the entire Lynn Swan athletic department uh, uh, tenure. Uh, not a great way to end the podcast. <laughs> kind of a downer. To say the least. But uh, we'll see what happens on Saturday. USC and Utah at Rice-Eccles Stadium. 8.30 p.m. Mountain Time. 7.30 p.m. Pacific on ESPN. Um, yeah, I look forward to it. Um, check out the over under, make your picks, have your say, see how you compare against us. And we'll see how we compare against you. Uh, as always, you can follow us on Twitter, rain of Troy, like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash rain of Troy. Our email address is rain of Troy at fansided.com and our phone number two, one, three, three, seven, three, one, eight, seven, two call in to the rant line. Uh, and Alicia, what are the keys to make the rant line montage again? You should be pithy. Uh, keep it, keep it short. Keep it simple. Uh, keep it passionate. 
Uh, make sure that your audio quality is 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 decent. Uh, More so, like t- turn your turn turn, t- turn down, turn down the TV, turn down the radio, yeah. go to a different room. Don't record where there's a lot of sounds around. Uh, make it so that your voice is the only thing we can hear, which is uh, the best way to do it. And uh, yeah, you'll get on there. Yes, indeed. Uh, thanks as always for listening. Uh, final word. I wish you got one. The final word is. Scandal? Sure. Bad TV show. Alright, we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll see you in the car camp. See ya. See ya. This year, build your credit history with the Chime Secured Credit Builder Visa Credit Card. No credit checks to apply. Get started at Chime.com slash build. The Chime Credit Builder Visa Credit Card is issued by the Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. members FDIC. Chime checking account and 200 qualifying direct deposit required to apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.